Welcome to the History AI Podcast, where the past comes alive with facts, anecdotes, and a dash of humor. Here are your hosts, Chuck and Marco. Welcome to the History AI Podcast, where history comes alive through our AI-generated deep dives. I'm Chuck. And I'm Marco. Today, we're stepping back into the revolutionary era to explore the life of a founding father who was as principled as he was prickly John Adams. Ah, Adams, the man who had the guts to defend British soldiers after the Boston Massacre and then turned around to become a leading revolutionary. Talk about a complicated legacy. You're not kidding. And don't forget, he was the second president of the United States. But let's start at the beginning, John Adams' early life. Born in 1735 in Massachusetts, to a farmer and a minister's daughter. Not exactly the upbringing you'd expect for a future president? Definitely not. But it's where his story begins, and what a story it is. Let's dive in. So, diving right into the early years of John Adams. Born on October 30, 1735, in Braintree, Massachusetts, which is now known as Quincy. That's right, Chuck. And you know, Braintree sounds like a place where everyone would be super smart. I bet young John didn't have any trouble finding his school. Maybe that's why he was such a bright spark. But seriously, he was born into a modest family. His father, John Adams Sr., was a farmer and a cobbler. He also served in local government, which might explain where Adams got his interest in politics. His mother, Susanna Boylston Adams, came from a family of doctors and merchants. A mix of working class and a bit of New England elite you could say. Absolutely. And it's interesting how his upbringing was a blend of practical and intellectual pursuits. Adams Sr. wanted young John to be a minister, but John had other plans. He sure did. But let's not forget, young Adams was initially not too keen on education. He preferred hunting and fishing. Classic boy stuff, right? Indeed. But his father had a serious talk with him, which changed everything. He eventually went to Harvard College at age 16 and graduated in 1755. Imagine being a teenager at Harvard. Talk about feeling out of place. Do you think he had to deal with freshman pranks back then, Chuck? Maybe Marco. Though I think Adams was too busy being a serious student, getting his Bachelor of Arts degree. He even taught for a bit before deciding to study law in Worcester under James Putnam, a leading lawyer. And the rest, as they say, is history. From a reluctant scholar to a Harvard grad and then a lawyer. Quite the transformation, wouldn't you say? Absolutely, Marco. It's like those classic tales where the hero starts off unsure but ends up on an epic journey. Only for Adams, it was the journey to becoming a founding father of the United States. A journey that started in a small town called Braintree. Not too shabby for a farmer's son. Now, let's delve into one of the most pivotal moments in John Adams' career, his defense of the British soldiers in the Boston Massacre. It's 1770, and tensions in Boston are sky-high. That's right, Marco. The streets of Boston are practically a powder keg waiting to explode. British troops are stationed in the city, and the locals are none too happy about it. Then, on March 5th, things go south. A confrontation between a wigmaker's apprentice and a British soldier escalates into an all-out brawl. Other soldiers join in, and suddenly, shots are fired into the crowd. When the smoke clears, five colonists are dead. This event quickly gets labeled as the Boston Massacre. 
It's a public relations nightmare for the British, and the city is clamoring for justice. Enter John Adams. Now, he's already a well-respected lawyer at this point, and he does something pretty unexpected. He sure does. Despite being a vocal critic of British policies, Adams agrees to defend the soldiers in court. Talk about a controversial move. It's a testament to his belief in justice and the right to a fair trial, Chuck. But it wasn't a popular decision. His cousin Samuel Adams was leading the charge against the British, making things even more awkward. Family gatherings must have been fun for the Adams family around that time. No kidding. But back to the trial, Adams argues that the soldiers were provoked and acted in self-defense. He famously says, facts are stubborn things, emphasizing the importance of law over public opinion. And it works. Six of the eight soldiers are acquitted, and the other two get off with reduced charges. It's a stunning legal victory, but it comes at a cost for Adams. His law practice suffers, and he becomes kind of a pariah in some circles. But you know, in hindsight, it speaks volumes about the man's character. He stood up for what he believed was right, even when it was unpopular. It's a risky move that not many would dare to take. Absolutely, Marco. And this incident really paints a picture of the complex character that was John Adams. Firm in his principles, yet always ready to challenge the status quo. Now, after the Boston Massacre trial, John Adams finds himself at a personal and professional crossroads. And this is where we see the emergence of Adams as a true patriot. But the transition wasn't overnight, was it Marco? Not at all, Chuck. Post-trial, Adams is somewhat alienated in Boston. But he's also gaining a reputation as a man of principle. This period is really crucial. He begins to see the growing divide between the colonies and Britain as more than just a legal dispute. Exactly, Marco. And let's not forget the Stamp Act of 1765 and the Townsend Acts of 1767. These British laws imposed taxes on the colonies without any representation, stirring a pot of resentment. And Adams, being Adams, couldn't keep his pen still. He writes these fiery essays and articles, arguing that these taxes violate the colonists' rights. He's really starting to get under the skin of the British authorities. Right, and it's not just his writing. He's actively participating in town meetings, becoming a leader in the Massachusetts opposition to British policy. His evolution from a lawyer to a statesman is underway. Then comes the Boston Tea Party in 1773. Adams isn't throwing tea into the harbor, but he's definitely cheering from the sidelines. He sees this act of defiance as a turning point. I can imagine him, sipping his tea at home, nodding in approval. But seriously, this is when Adams starts getting involved in the Continental Congress. He's becoming a key player in the colonial resistance. And let's talk about his diplomatic skills. Adams had this ability to connect with different factions. He's working with radical patriots like his cousin Samuel Adams, and more moderate figures too. A true balancing act, Marco. And all this while, he's advocating for the colony's rights, arguing eloquently against British tyranny. He's moving from defending British soldiers in court to challenging British authority on a political stage. It's quite the transformation, and it sets the stage for what's to come, the American Revolution. Adams' role in this period is crucial, not just in agitating against British policies, but in shaping the emerging American identity. Now, let's dive into his life during the Revolutionary War. This was when Adams really stepped onto the national stage right, Marco? 
Absolutely, Chuck. It's 1775, the Revolutionary War has just kicked off, and Adams is in the thick of it. He's a delegate to the Second Continental Congress, and he's not just a wallflower there. Far from it, Marco. Adams becomes a central figure in the push for independence. He's advocating fiercely for the colonies to break away from British rule. You could say he was one of the earliest and loudest voices for independence. And let's not forget Chuck, his role in drafting the Declaration of Independence. While Thomas Jefferson gets the credit for writing it, Adams was part of the committee that created it, and he played a crucial role in shaping its direction. That's right Marco Adams was like the coach behind the scenes, pushing Jefferson to draft a document that would resonate not just in the colonies, but across the world. Speaking of the world, Adams didn't just fight the revolutionary battle at home. In 1778, he's sent to France as a diplomat and let's just say, his time in Europe was colourful. Oh, definitely. Adams was, well, a bit of a fish out of water in the French court. His straightforward, no-nonsense New England style didn't exactly mesh with the French's more, shall we say, flamboyant approach. I can just picture him all stern and serious among the French aristocrats. But jokes aside, he played a vital role in securing French support, which was crucial for the American victory. And then there's his time in the Netherlands. In 1780, Adams goes to the Dutch Republic to secure loans. This is a huge deal because it's basically the first official recognition of the United States by a foreign government. His persistence pays off. The Dutch loans and recognition were a major turning point. Without them, the war might have ended very differently. Absolutely. And throughout all this, Adams is also dealing with personal challenges. His wife, Abigail, is back in Massachusetts, managing their farm and raising their children alone. Their letters to each other during this time are just, they're really something. They really show the human side of Adams. Here's this great statesman, deeply involved in shaping a nation, yet he's also a husband and father, missing his family and sharing his fears and hopes through letters. It's a reminder that these larger-than-life figures were real people with real emotions. And now let's turn the page to a new chapter in John Adams' life, his political career post-revolution. This is where Adams really carves his legacy as a statesman. Marco, he was quite the busy man in the years following the war, wasn't he? Oh, he certainly was Chuck. First off, Adams didn't get much of a break after the war. In 1785, he's off to England as the first American minister to the court of St. James's. Can you imagine the irony? He's representing the United States in the very heart of the empire they just fought a war against. The symbolism is rich, to say the least. Adams, the former revolutionary, now diplomatically engaging with King George III. It's like something out of a historical drama. And Adams, ever the straight talker, doesn't exactly charm the British but he does lay the groundwork for the crucial Anglo-American relationship. Now, fast forward to 1789, and Adams becomes the first vice president under George Washington. This is a big deal because there's no real roadmap for the role. Adams is, in a sense, defining what the vice presidency means. True Chuck. But let's just say, he wasn't thrilled with the job. He famously referred to the vice presidency as the most insignificant office that ever the invention of man contrived. Not exactly a glowing job review. That's Adams for you always candid. But his real moment comes in 1797 when he's elected as the second president of the United States, succeeding Washington. 
it's a tough act to follow, and Adam's presidency is, well, complicated. It really is. His navigating the young nation through the XYZ affair, the quasi-war with France, dealing with internal party strife, and the infamous Alien and Sedition Acts. It's a turbulent time, and Adams is right at the center of it. The Alien and Sedition Acts were controversial. They limited free speech and targeted immigrants, which was a stark contrast to the values Adams had championed earlier in his career. But it's not all controversy. One of Adams' lasting achievements is his role in building up the U.S. Navy. He's sometimes called the father of the American Navy, and for good reason. Definitely Marco. And let's not forget, despite the challenges, Adams helped maintain peace with France, which was crucial for the young nation's survival. His presidency ends in 1801, and it's a bit of a bitter moment for him. He loses to Thomas Jefferson, his former friend turned political rival. Their relationship is a story for the ages, really. Now, let's talk about one of the most fascinating aspects of John Adams' story, his relationship with Thomas Jefferson. It's a tale of friendship, rivalry, and ultimately, reconciliation. Chuck, this relationship was nothing short of a roller coaster, right? Absolutely, Marco. These two founding fathers started off as close allies. They worked together on the Declaration of Independence, shared similar political ideals, and even corresponded regularly, discussing philosophy, governance, you name it. But as politics got more divisive in the 1790s, so did their friendship. Adams, a Federalist, and Jefferson, a Democratic Republican, found themselves on opposite sides of the political spectrum. It's like watching best friends become archenemies. The election of 1796, where Adams narrowly defeats Jefferson for the presidency, really sets the stage for their rivalry. Then comes the election of 1800, and things get even messier. It's one of the most bitter and contentious elections in American history. Jefferson emerges victorious, and Adams is left quite bitter. It's almost Shakespearean, isn't it? Two friends, turned rivals, battling it out on the national stage. But the story doesn't end there. After their presidencies, they begin to reconcile. That's right, Chuck. It starts with a simple letter in 1812. Adams reaches out to Jefferson, and Jefferson responds. And just like that, the ice begins to thaw. Their correspondence over the next 14 years is nothing short of remarkable. They discuss everything their time in politics, philosophical questions, even their views on the future of the nation. It's like they're making up for lost time. And through these letters, we see the depth of their intellect and their passion for the American experiment. What's even more extraordinary is how their lives end. Both die on July 4, 1826, the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. Adams' last words were, Thomas Jefferson survives, though he was mistaken, Jefferson had passed away a few hours earlier. It's an almost poetic end to their storied lives. Two founding fathers, dying on the same day, on the anniversary of the nation they helped create. Their story is a powerful reminder of the complexities of human relationships, especially in the turbulent world of politics. It shows us the capacity for conflict and the profound potential for reconciliation. It's time to talk about the final chapter in the life of John Adams. After his presidency, Adams doesn't just retire quietly into the sunset. He's active, writing, thinking, engaging with the world until his last day. Marco, his later years were quite reflective, weren't they? They really were, Chuck. 
Adams retires to his farm in Quincy, Massachusetts, but he's far from idle. He is writing letters, especially to Jefferson, as we discussed, and he's also working on various essays and his own autobiography. It's like he's in a race against time to put down all his thoughts, experiences, and reflections. He's grappling with his legacy, trying to make sense of the nation he helped to create, and the tumultuous times he lived through. And let's not forget his personal life. He's a patriarch, watching his children and grandchildren grow up, including John Quincy Adams, who, as we all know, becomes the sixth president of the United States. Talk about keeping it in the family. But Adams' final years are tinged with tragedy too. He loses his beloved wife, Abigail, in 1818, and it hits him hard. They had been married for 54 years. Yeah, their partnership was truly remarkable. Losing Abigail was a profound loss for Adams. You can feel the sorrow and loneliness in his letters from that period. And then comes July 4, 1826. It's the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. Adams is 90 years old, frail, but his mind is as sharp as ever. There's something almost symbolic about him making it to that day. His last words, as you mentioned earlier Chuck, were Thomas Jefferson survives. It's poignant, isn't it? His old friend, his rival, and in his last moments, he's thinking of Jefferson. It's incredibly poignant. But what Adams didn't know was that Jefferson had passed away just a few hours earlier at Monticello. The two giants of American history, leaving on the same historic day. It's a fitting end to an extraordinary life. Adam's story is one of passion, intellect, and a relentless dedication to the principles he believed in. His death marked the end of an era, but his legacy, well, that lives on. Indeed it does, Marco. As we near the end of our journey with John Adams, it's time to reflect on his lasting impact. His life was a tapestry of triumphs and trials, and his legacy is deeply woven into the fabric of American history. Chuck, where do we even begin with Adams' impact? It's a vast canvas, Marco. Let's start with his role as a founding father. Adams was instrumental in shaping the early ideals and policies of the United States. His voice in the Declaration of Independence, his diplomatic efforts in Europe, and his leadership as president all set foundational stones for the young nation. And his commitment to justice and the rule of law cannot be overstated. Remember, this is the man who defended British soldiers after the Boston Massacre, ensuring they received a fair trial. That act alone speaks volumes about his character and his unwavering belief in the legal system. Absolutely. And his foresight was remarkable. Adams envisioned a government balanced between the masses and the elite, fearing the tyranny of either. His contributions to the creation of the Constitution reflect this vision, advocating for a system of checks and balances that remains central to American governance. Then there's his influence as a political thinker and writer. His works, like Thoughts on Government and A Defense of the Constitutions of Government of the United States of America, were pivotal in shaping the political ideology of the time. And we can't forget his role as the father of the American Navy. Under his presidency, he established the Department of the Navy and built up the naval fleet, which played a crucial role in protecting American interests. His personal life, too, has left a lasting impression. His marriage to Abigail Adams is often celebrated for its partnership and mutual respect, a model of marital companionship and intellectual kinship. And there's the Adams' political legacy. His son, John Quincy Adams, becomes the sixth president of the United States, 
continuing the Adams family's influence on American politics. In retrospect, Adams' life is a reflection of the complexities of early American history, its ideals, contradictions, and struggles. He wasn't a perfect man or leader, but his contributions to the nation are undeniable. Well said Marco. John Adams' story is a testament to the power of integrity, intellect, and an unwavering commitment to one's principles. His legacy is not just in the pages of history books, but in the very essence of American identity and governance. As we wrap up this episode, we thank our listeners for joining us on this deep dive into the life and legacy of John Adams. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share our podcast. Your support helps us bring more stories like this to you. Thanks for tuning in, folks. This is Chuck and Marco, signing off from the History AI podcast. Keep exploring history. From the mind behind the History AI podcast comes an electrifying journey into the past. A ripple through time, Franklin's folly. Dive into a tale where Benjamin Franklin, America's beloved inventor, takes an unexpected journey through time. But with his leap, he unleashes a powerful ripple. Now, with dark forces lurking in the shadows, harnessing this energy to shatter and enslave the world, it's a race against time. Will Franklin fix the future? Or will history rewrite itself? Uncover the secrets. A ripple through time, Franklin's folly. Time has never been more fragile. On Amazon now.